Welcome to all of you who are here this morning, those watching online, and those who are listening later this week. A blessed new year to you as we continue this season of growing in grace. And this is the first Sunday of the month, which means a new memory verse, which you will get as you leave today. We're going to put it up on the screen, and we're going to practice it together. Let's read it together. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Isn't that nice? I think that's an easier verse than some of ours, right? But it's a harder reality. This is the first verse of Hebrews 11, and what follows is a long list of people of faith from the Hebrew scriptures, people who walked faithfully with God in circumstances that were puzzling or challenging. The book of Hebrews is best understood as a book written to Jewish Christians, those who are from a Jewish background, encouraging them to see the continuity of the people of God, both before and after the revelation of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews starts with the example of the Old Testament patriarch Abraham. Please pray with me this morning before I read our passage. Lord, as we read the word and as we explore it this morning, inspire us and guide us through your Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom for our faith journey with Jesus, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. So listen to our second scripture lesson from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3 and 8 through 12. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received the power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who has who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Abraham is the patriarch of the people of God. He is called out from a land in Mesopotamia to form a people from his descendants. God has a covenant promise for Abraham that he will be a father of a great multitude. However, Abraham and his wife Sarah are old without children. And there are many aspects to Abraham's story, many ways in which he's known to be a friend of God, a father to the family of God. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all look to him as a patriarch of their traditions and consider themselves cousins of a sort of the Abrahamic faiths. So Abraham's important, if you didn't know. But here's an important thing to know about Abraham, 
Not only does he not know exactly where he's headed when he leaves his home, he doesn't see the fullness of the promise from God realized in his lifetime. He didn't get a text <laughs> telling him how big and fruitful his ministry was. Sure, he sees the next generations of his family, and yes, he sees the promised land, but when he dies, he is still a nomad. Abraham goes to that promised land, but in his life, he never possesses more than a small field that he buys to be a burial site for his beloved wife, Sarah. Abraham is never the possessor of the land that is promised to his family in his life. And his family's nomadic existence of living in tents, not quite seeing that foundation laid, that continues through two more generations. And yet, Abraham steps out by faith. Our passage repeats that he does these things by faith. Because he didn't clearly see what was ahead, but Abraham trusts God. You might know a bit about Abraham's story. He wasn't perfect. He had times of faltering. He told a powerful king that his beautiful wife Sarah was his sister, so he wouldn't be killed to get out of the way. And here's a little fun fact. By my estimate, she was a beautiful woman in her 60s. <laughs> I kind of like that. But then also, this heart of hospitality, Abraham welcomes strangers in the desert, unaware that they are angels investing in that heart of hospitality. And when directed by God, Abraham, by faith, went out into the mountain with his beloved son Isaac, and while trusting God, tested with an unimaginable instruction of sacrifice. We could spend hours following Abraham and assessing his path and how he lived and learning lessons from his life. But just for today, how do we understand the example of Abraham here where he steps out, that first step of faith, into an unknown future? How do we take that first faithful step when we don't exactly know where we are going, when we don't hold proof of our faith in our hands? Sometimes it is hard because God remains unseen. And what convicts us to trust and have faith is different for each of us. We're each wired differently. Our journey to faith and our trust in God is personal, even as we share it in community. And there are a lot of paradoxes to faith like that, where both things are true, that faith is personal and faith is shared with others. And here's another one. Faith is a gift from God, by the grace of God, but faith is also something to be cultivated, something to be developed. So how do we cultivate faith? How do we trust God where we have not yet seen? How do we, by faith, set off in a direction, encouraged by God's word, encouraged by an inner conviction, sometimes not fully sure where we are going, sometimes thinking we know where we are going and it is not where we end up? Abraham demonstrates he trusts God. He leaves a familiar land, and at an older age, he believes God's word to him, that he will have descendants. Faith in God equals trust in God. And sometimes I have to ask myself, is my God big enough? You might ask yourself that same question. Do you trust him? Is, 
It's okay if we struggle with faith. We don't need to be ashamed. It's part of our human existence to wonder and to ask questions, to examine what we struggle with. But the thing is, everyone struggles with some different things. We may all have struggles, but they look a little different. So I invite us to look at our starting point, be attuned to where we are in our faith journey. Sometimes you could be someone struggling and doubting. Maybe you're someone who's hurting. And maybe that colors how you think and feel about God. And maybe you are someone who has an idea of goals you should have in your life. Theologian Kate Bowler suggests that the new civil religion of America is the religion of self-improvement and goal setting. Does that resonate with you? There are so many self-help books about manifesting excellence, and it will happen. They're all filled with this idea of individual excellence and independence and goals, all to live your best life. The problem is, it doesn't always work. Have you noticed, if you've looked at a little free library, that there are a lot of these books? <laughs> they must not be working. Sometimes we're motivated by goals that they seem right, they seem like they'll bring excellence to our life, but they really aren't the goals that bring us to our faithful selves, to the fullest life that God has for us. You know, I read somewhere, and I would quote it if I could remember where I read it, but sometimes our goals for living our best lives are about control or comfort or approval. And if you think about some of the things that you yearn for, some of your goals, you might fall into one of those categories because it's what our culture encourages and our broken selves might also yearn for these goals. But how do these goals really satisfy our deepest yearnings? Now, it isn't bad to accomplish goals, to do the things that you need to set out to do. It's good to be responsible. As a parent of college-aged adults, and as someone who used to do counseling to seminary students, for the love of all that is good, students, go see your academic advisor. Plan your courses to graduate. And as someone in, I guess, late middle age, I don't know, I would say embrace reality that no matter what your age is, earlier is better to look at the reality of your spending and your plans for retirement. So it's good to plan, I'm not saying it isn't, but here's the truth, for the deepest purposes of our lives, for our ability to trust God, to love others, to love God, we need to be focused on the process of our life rather than goals. The process of our life rather than goals, what we aim for. We need to be more concerned with who we are becoming than what we accomplish. We need to be concerned with who we're becoming. That's the most important thing. Success doesn't define us. Failure doesn't define us. Who we are defines us. And just like that list of Old Testament saints who followed God, who we are as people of faith defines us. Faith is a gift and an invitation to go deeper, this idea of cultivating our faith. So how do we think about this invitation to develop, to cultivate our faith? Ruth Haley Barton is a wonderful spiritual writer. Pastor Dave and I love her work. And she re reintroduces this idea of a rule of life. 
And she says, in light of God's invitation to us, who do I want to be and how do I want to live? Actually, it might be more accurate to say a rule of life seeks to address the interplay between these two questions. How do I want to live so I can be who I want to be? That's a big question. How do I want to live so I can be who I want to be? So what is this idea of a rule of life? It sounds kind of dry, doesn't it? But it, it comes from this idea, this choice to cultivate a sacred rhythm to life. Rather than creating goalposts of future outcomes, it's tied to more of a practical rhythm. It gives a daily guide or a seasonal guide, and it ties into our human development step by step. The father of monastic communities, St. Benedict of Nursia, he wrote a guide for living about a daily rhythm of life. It was called the Reglia Benedictae, Rule of St. Benedict. Maybe some of you have heard this, and it's inspired generations of Christians to do the same, cultivate a daily life, a daily, cultivate daily intentions for your daily life. What do you do in a day? And what is a rule of life seeking to do? An openness to grace of God's spirit. An openness to accountability with others in community, seeking to be real with them. It recognizes the importance of habit, how it forms us, right? You know how habits can form us for good or for not so good. It understands a daily, weekly, monthly, or seasonal rhythm of life. People who live on earth are part of a season of the earth's blessings. Sometimes it might be a seasonal recognition of the seasons as they change. There could be other rhythms in your life too. And it aims our life towards a love of God and others, a hospitality that receives others like they were Christ. The Benedictine order is known for hospitality. They understand that anytime they receive someone, they receive them as if they're receiving Christ. And so this rule of life attends to how we invest in our lives, oriented to daily choices. So while you may not know what is ahead, or you may not be fully certain what you will accomplish, you know how you will attend to your daily life. I encountered this idea of a rule of life from a mentor when I was in seminary, and I was in a bit of a crisis over a failure. And I've revisited it several times, and I've thought about the practices. And honestly, a lot of my practices are to turn away from my usual desire to seek people's approval, instead to make space for things that fill and grow my soul. Looking back, and maybe that's why it resonated with me, this question about are your goals simply to bring you control, comfort, or approval? We're all different, how we've been formed, how we've been raised. So one person's rule of life may not be another's. We all need different intentions for our life. And these rules, they could be simple practices, what you read each day, how you engage with people, with money, with food, with nature, the choices that you make when you're in conflict with people. It could be as simple as, I will not write that email to respond to something in anger. <laughs> the first day I receive it, I'll sit with it. It may be as simple as, I'm gonna track what I eat so I can be mindful. It may be 
deep. It may be um, something that seems like a simple practice, but if you see how it affects the way you engage with life, that might be a rule for your life. And Pastor Dave and I are fond of posing Mary Oliver's question to you. What is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? And this comes at the end of a poem, a poem that evokes this idea of relishing and dwelling in God's creation. And if you're familiar with the work of Mary Oliver, her rule of life might be dwelling in nature, looking at birds, seeking God's goodness. You know, this rule of life might even be seen as giving us a pilgrimage mindset to our days. A pilgrimage is seeking to go somewhere holy and set apart. But if you see your life as holy and set apart, and if you're intentional with your journey, the journey that takes you to work, home, play, school, church, wherever you find yourself, then maybe your pilgrim heart journey forms you. Maybe that's a way to think about your wild and precious life. You know, I love when human psychology and development confirms God's guidance for us. Don't you? I love that science doesn't deny God. Sometimes answers different questions. But sometimes it touches on the same question. And this idea about human thriving and development I was talking to a friend yesterday who's been going on a journey of learning and self-discovery. And she told me about this idea of cultivating wellness through this intersection of your reasonable mind of thinking and reasoning and the emotional mind of feeling. So here's the Venn diagram. Both are an intersection. Do you see what's in the intersection? I don't know if you can read it. It says, the wise mind cultivating what you know and what you do. Neither focused and driven by your emotions, nor cold rationality. So we neither want to have cold rationality of plans that are goals that are measurable only, nor do we want to be driven by emotions, but there's something in between. And I think this rule of life touches on that. The wise man, the wise mind, the wise man and woman says, I feel this over here, and I know this over here, so I will do this. And it seems to me this is the very thing we're talking about, cultivating a rule of life to cultivate our faith, that intersection where we perceive God's path for us. What do we do with our precious life? And it takes intentionality to find that intersection of hope and faith, of living faithfully, your good, rational mind is a gift from God, as are your emotions, but most must come together as you receive that gift of faith. And if you read the rest of the Hebrews 11 passage, you see so many exemplars of people of faith living in challenges. That is also an input that between your rational mind and your emotional mind, you can discern with the Holy Spirit what wisdom is there for you in your life. So if you live in this intersection by faith, in a wise mind and wisdom, you don't become discouraged by not reaching your five-year plan. You don't become confused and, under, and overwhelmed by the indirect paths that your life takes. You know that in God, your story isn't over. 
And you measure your life by who you are becoming, not by other people's approval or measures of success. Thus, your faith and trust in God isn't measured by whether or not God has helped you meet your goals, but by whether you experience God's love in your daily life, in times of reflection, in times of community together. Do you live a life of love? Because that's the way of wise Father Abraham. And I know this is a lot to take in, and if you are someone experiencing loss, if life is hard right now, it is okay to be real. It's okay to doubt and hurt and yearn for help. It's okay to pause and rest. The rule of life might be for you in this season, breathe and rest and find goodness. But know this, no matter what your age or circumstance, your story isn't over. Look around you. Here's a great cloud of witnesses. Go ahead, look around you. Not just literally, figuratively, literally. <laughs> look around. Here's a great cloud of witnesses. So many people speak of how they have come here, wondering and curious about faith. But you, you have shared your journeys with each other, and that has pointed the way. So it isn't just the pantheon of saints in Hebrews 11, but it is each other. So growing faith takes some cultivation on your part. And so I'd invite you to make some time praying with God this week. What's the next faithful step that you're called to take? Who are the pilgrims around you that inspire you? Who are the saints that inspire you? Do you need to examine something in your life a little deeper? Do you need help with that? There are people who help each other. Do you need new rhythms? Do you need a new rule for your living? And always ask yourself, are your goals focused on control, comfort, and approval, or on becoming who God wants you to be? Because God promises that he is faithful. He has been faithful by giving us Jesus who helps us. Soon we'll all take our next faithful steps to the communion table, to this table of grace, a place to receive spiritual nourishment for our journey. May we all walk by faith as we walk together and gather together today. Amen.